0: Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, if you are keeping notes, you will know that today is our 80th, 8 zero, 80th sermon in Romans, and I, I keep thinking we need to hurry, and then I get into studying and think, no, we probably need to slow down, so we will finish it one day, uh, trust before the rapture. Romans chapter 8, looking at two verses today, uh, two of the most curious verses in all the Bible. Verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself Intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. When a person comes to faith in Christ or a person gets to a point where they're wanting to accelerate their growth in Christ, I'm often asked as a friend or a pastor on some help in thinking through how to do that. Usually it comes in this form. What do I study? What do I read? What can I apply my mind to to really get a kickstart, a a a, jumpstart, grab traction in wanting to grow? There are so many answers that can be given, so many texts that can be turned to, and if the answer is biblical, none of those answers are wrong. But I find myself continually coming back to the same answer over and over again when someone begins their faith and someone wants to accelerate their faith. Admittedly, this is connected to my own experience of what has been used by God to move me into greater depths of love for him, and understanding of the gospel. I think it's a subject that is at the core of every believer's growth and sustained growth. It's a subject that's going to provide the backbone to the rest of the book of Romans, specifically the rest of chapter eight. Might not be obvious at first, but if you look carefully, you can see this subject in every single phrase of this chapter. The subject is simply this. The attributes of God. What's God like? What's his personality? How does he think? What does he think? These are the questions that theologians categorize into this subject called the attributes, the characteristics of God, the personality traits of God. If our highest desire as a believer and our highest privilege granted from God and our highest duty given by the scripture is to know God, then there's no greater subject to apply our minds to than the attributes of the living God. An attribute is a, is a, is a characteristic. It's a description. It's a way a person is known. And it's a way that a person is known as distinct from every other person. You know the attributes of the people in this room. The people you know, you know more attributes about. The people that you know less, you know less attributes about. It's the way that we get to know a person. It's the way we distinguish each other from one another. In the text before us, we see several shades of God's attributes that Paul intends to serve our hearts, our understanding, to comfort us, to equip us, to give us insights. For example, we see that we have a compassionate God. A caring God, inclined to helpfulness. He's sovereign. He has a will in this passage. He has a mind of his own that he desires for us to know and to embrace. One of the things that's important when we study the Bible in any passage, in any portion of Scripture, is to back up and say, God's Bible, the the revelation of God is, by definition, God revealing himself to us. So, at every part of the Bible, we need to stop and say, What am I learning? What, What am I seeing that's fresh and new, even repeated and accented about the character of our God? We should see something of his greatness and his goodness Every time we open our Bibles, and such is in highlight focus today in the text before us. You know, as I studied this week and was diving into this passage, was I frankly I've been looking forward to since we began uh, this book to really understand what was going on in these two verses. I felt freshly amazed at God's kind disposition, his love for his children. Because what God does in these two verses is mind-bending. It's Unbelievable in the truest sense of the word, unless God had told us that this was happening. Here we meet the Father and the Holy Spirit in one of the most helpful and hopeful ways you can imagine. Because here in Romans 8, 26, and 27, we get a glimpse of the fact get this, that there are conversations that, is, that are happening within the Godhead, within the Trinity, and that those conversations include us. Now the fact that God talks, can I say this, to himself is not a surprise. Look back over. I want you to see this for a moment. Look into Genesis chapter 1. You know this passage well, but think about this from the, from the perspective of God having an inter-Trinitarian discussion. Romans 1, excuse me, uh, Genesis 1.26. Then God said, so God's talking, and the question is, who is he talking to? Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, some have said, well, he's talking to the angels. Well, that's a problem because we weren't made in the image of angels. Some say, well, this is polytheistic. There must be a a whole pool of guys uh, talking. No, God is one, Deuteronomy 6 says. This is God in the mystery of the Trinity speaking within himself. Let me show you another passage that might surprise you. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. I remember the first time I saw this, I just literally shook my head and said, what I pulled out some commentaries to make sure that I had not misinterpreted it. This is, this is a little different. This is bizarre in, in, in the most wonderful sense. You know the trajectory of Hebrews 10. He's talking about the, the old covenant and the new covenant. The superiority of Christ's death over the, the blood of bulls and goats. And he says this in verse 4. Hebrews ten four. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Fair. So now he's going to talk and move into speaking about the incarnation. Now, watch this. Therefore, when he comes into the world, speaking of God, a person of the Godhead coming into the world from outside the world, he says, sacrifice and burnt offering you have not desired. The old covenant way of propitiation and appeasing God, God hasn't, hasn't desired. There's a new and a better way. Now, look at this next phrase. But a body you have prepared for me. You see what's going on there? The second person of the Trinity is speaking to the Father, saying in his pre-incarnate state, a human body you've made for me. I am about to become a man. Now, what I find fascinating about Genesis 1 and Hebrews 10 is that there's this this obvious communication is happening within the Trinity. When God existed forever backwards, he wasn't lonely or alone. He was with himself in the full fellowship of the tri-unity of his existence. I just find that interesting that the second person in the Trinity says to the Father, a body you've prepared for me. I'm getting ready to go into the world. You have, you've, uh, uh, he says in verse 5, when he comes into the world, he says... There's this discussion that's happening before the birth of Christ where this discussion of the second person of the Trinity becoming man actually happens. Now back to Romans chapter eight. I tell you that so that you're not surprised when we find in Romans chapter eight the Trinity talking to himself. Said in the words of Paul here, God, the Holy Spirit, speaks to God the father about you and me or said another way god is said here to actually pray for us can you even wrap your mind around that god prays for us he thinks of us he cares for us he intercedes for us Now, we have been trudging through some really deep, uh, deep water and some very thick and wonderful theology for uh, some eight and a half chapters in Romans. And if you've been waiting, thinking, okay, when does the, when does the practical part come? When does the devotional part come? I think we've seen a lot of that. But when, when is it really getting to that part where there's this great vista that I want to see? If you're in the back seat of Romans, it's time to wake up and look around. we We're here. We're here. You are about to see what I can only describe as the most incredible thought that could be applied to my mind that God knows, thinks of, cares for me, and talks within the fellowship of the Trinity about me. You are the subject of God's conversation with, get this, himself, himself. The Spirit of the living God, Paul informs us, prays for believers. Let's break this amazing text down by noting three blessings in the Spirit's praying for us. We're going to look at the statement of it. And inside that are three blessings that are going to flow so naturally out of this text. Three blessings in the Spirit's praying for us. The first is the first part of verse 26. The help of the Spirit. It's a great blessing that he helps us. We have the help of the Spirit. In the same way, verse 26 says, the Spirit also helps our weakness for we do not know how to pray as we should. This verse begins with a comparison. In the same way. Now, Some commentators and some uh, authors get tripped up on this because we've we've noted that there's three groanings in this passage, right? There's the groaning of of the creation, there's the groaning of people, and there's the groaning of the spirit here in this passage. And some people say, well, in the same way that the creation groans, in the same way that we groan, the spirit groans. But that's not what's going on here because it says in the same way the spirit helps. It doesn't say in the same way the spirit groans, The question is then, to what is Paul referring when he says, in the same way, the Spirit? Same way as what? Well, you have to go back and part of hermeneutics, part of Bible study is looking for antecedents. You know what an antecedent is? It's you find a phrase and what does that refer to closest in the text? It's back to uh, uh, 10th grade uh, grammar. What does it refer to? What's the closest thing that it can refer to? If you trace the argument back up, the closest thing you can find of the Spirit doing in the same way the Spirit helps, in other words, the Spirit is doing this in the same way as he does something else, the first thing you find when you track back through the passage is this, chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit is confirming our adoption as sons, now, this is significant because the Spirit confirming our adoption as sons is said to be linked now to the Spirit's giving us help. The Spirit is inclined to give us help. God the Father is inclined to give the Spirit for our help because we have been adopted. We are in a privileged, sacred, incredible, overwhelmingly uh, blessed position because of our adoption. He's confirming us that our as adopted sons, and now in the same way, he helps us. And it makes sense, doesn't it? If we're his sons, the Spirit says, I, I want to, I'm going to, I'm gonna provide a service, I'm going to help the sons of the living God. So there's a link between the Spirit's intercession and the Spirit's work in adoption. Don't miss that. And let me tell you why. I find my own heart as a parent in my own family praying for. My wife and me, and more than any other person or any other group of people in my prayer life, is my are my sons. It makes sense. I naturally pray for my sons. That I want the best for them. No offense, more than anybody. They're God's gift to Kim and me. I pray naturally for my sons. This makes absolute sense. In the same way as the Spirit confirms our adoption, He also now helps our weakness. Why? Because we're adopted sons of God. Listen, the Holy Spirit was working hard in and for you when we were adopted by the Father. And He will continue to work in and for us by helping our weakness here, helping our confusion when we come to pray. More on that in a moment. Now this work of the Spirit of God is, as our helper should come as no surprise. When you hear the two words together, spirit and helper in the same sentence, does that ring a bell? John 14, 6, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another, what? Helper, that he may be with you forever. What does it look like when the Spirit helps us? You want to know what it looks like? Verse 26. He helps our weakness. We need to pause here for a moment and marvel at this attribute of God, this permanent abiding presence of the Spirit of God who is given to help us. We are never alone. We are never uh, as spiritual orphans. We've been adopted. We have the help of God. Even if we don't see it or feel it or understand it, we have to believe that he is here constantly helping us. And as we'll find out in a moment, maybe in ways we won't see until heaven. Spirit of God is our helper. He's given to help us. Which is incredible because back in Romans 5, we said when we were helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5, 6. Greek word to help is really interesting here. This is worth a little uh, pause It says the spirit helps us. It's only used twice in the New Testament here and in one other place in Luke 10, 40. Listen to how it's used there. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help, same word, me. There it clearly means tell her to give me assistance. It's the same idea. The Spirit gives us assistance. He lends assistance, what? Specifically here to our prayers. Verse 26, we find some of the specifics of this help regarding our prayer life and our praying. Look at what it says. He helps our weakness. What is our weakness? This is, the word just simply means an infirmity, our, our lack, our, so, something that we're, we're in need of. He helps our needfulness. He helps our weakness. What is our weakness? The next phrase explains it. We do not know how to pray as we should. Could that not be the subtitle to your biography? We don't know how to pray as we should. Very simply, there are times when we come to the Lord in prayer when we are at a loss for words. I think it's interesting here to notice that this included Paul. He says we, he helps our weakness. Paul understood what it was like to come to God and not know what to say. Now, now let me categorize that for you because typically... If, if God says, don't lie, we don't come to the Lord and ask him, Lord, should I lie or not? It's pretty obvious, right? If he says, don't commit adultery, we don't come to the Lord and say, Lord, should I make this choice or not? If he says, don't kill, we don't come to the Lord and say, should I make this choice or not? Those are easy answers. This is not in the category of the black and white. This is in the category, I think, of wisdom. Of what to do, when to do, what to do, how to do. This is wisdom, Lord, I need you to help me. I I don't even know how to pray for this. Have you ever found yourself in this, which really presupposes our prayer life to say, do do you pray enough that you come into cul-de-sacs? Do you pray enough where you come to a point where you just say, I know I want your assistance. I know I need your help. I know you know the situation, but I don't even know what to pray. Paul certainly came into that. You see a little bit of that. Just a glimpse we looked at last time. Remember when Paul says in Philippians 1, Well, I want to stay and help you, but I want to die and go to heaven. I don't know what to do. That's the category, wisdom. What are the wisdom issues in our life? Here in 826, Paul maintains that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, while the Holy Spirit undoubtedly helps believers generally in all weaknesses... This is talking about our weakness and not knowing what to pray for. Now, I want to confess to you, this is a little bit surprising to me. I know you know this verse. You were probably expecting this verse. But imagine hearing this for the first time. Because Paul tells us all over the place in the rest of the New Testament, lots of things to pray for. If you were to study the prayers of Paul, you would be full of things to pray for ways to pray that that would exhaust you for the rest of your life. And yet, Paul says there are times when we don't know what to pray. He's aware that there are times when he and others and you and me, that all of us, times of suffering, persecution, difficulty, Pain, loss, lack. There are times, seasons of times sometimes, that we come to God and don't even know what to say. Sometimes it's because we don't know the answer and sometimes it's just because we're overwhelmed and we, we just say, Lord, here's the dump truck of my life. All I know to do is hit the hydraulics. This is yours. I don't even know what to ask you. Can I just say as a footnote, if you haven't come to that place in your life, you have not what the old Puritans would call tarried in prayer long enough. Or you've come to a cul-de-sac and said, God, you're God and I'm not. Help. Help. The situation is too big for me. It's too complicated. It's too troubling. This relationship can't be solved. I need a job. I need this. Rents due. Oh, whatever it is, where you come to the place where you just say, God, the only thing I know to do is be with you and express my need and say, Help. That's what's going on here. Bottom line is that sometimes in prayer we find ourselves at a loss for words, but this presupposes that we are making every effort to pray. So that that weakness is actually exposed. This is interesting. That weakness won't be exposed unless we're praying. So unless you are praying, you won't know how weak we are and how much help we need in our prayer. Do you understand that? So you pray more to see how weak you are. And nowhere do you find God's strength more than this next part of the verse where he becomes strong for us and through us. Reminds me of what A.W. Pink said, growth in grace is always growth downward. Downward in estimation of yourself. Downward in confidence in yourself. The more you grow, the more you see your need for the Lord. So the first thing I want to ask is, have we come to that place? Do we see that we're weak? Do we see that we don't know how to pray as we should? And do we know with confidence that we have been given a helper not from God, but in God. We have the help of the Spirit. Let's look specifically more at another blessing of the fact that the Spirit prays for us. Number two, not only the help of the Spirit, but the intercession of the Spirit. Now we need to put the snorkel on, uh, take, put the snorkel off, and put the scuba tank on, because this is, this is deep stuff. And I want to confess to you, part of this, I go in and look at it in this verse, and instead of trying to really understand it, there is no understanding, you just step back and worship and marvel at it. It's, it's in the words of David, it's too wonderful for me. I, I can't even comprehend it. So we don't know how to pray as we should, but, don't you love that adversative? but the spirit himself, do you underline things in your Bible? Those two words. It's not just the Spirit, it's a reflexive in the Greek. The Spirit Himself is an accent, it's an exclamation point. The Spirit Himself, God Himself, intercedes for us. Just stop right there. God prays to God for the believer. Is, is that just a little mysterious to you? Does that not make you pause and say, I, that's, that's different? Now, he goes in this next passage, the next phrase which says, with groanings too deep for words. Let's talk about what that means. But before we talk about what it means, we have to talk about what it doesn't mean because there is all, sort, all manner of um, in misinterpretations that have led people to use this verse, some of our charismatic friends, to say this justifies a private prayer language. If you've ever heard someone say I have a private prayer language they will always go back to this passage and say I speak in tongues in my private prayer language based on Romans chapter 8 verse 26 because the spirit groans for us with groanings too deep intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Let's dismiss that interpretation quickly and forever if we can. Why does this not speak of a private prayer language? Well, Why would we reject that? Well, first of all, let me ask you just to use your, your English dictionary in your brain, okay? It's the word for. It's the same word gar in the Greek. It's, it's really simple. It's, it just means for. If I were to tell you, absent of any understanding of a private prayer language, if I were to ask any of you, if I were to say, Kelly, I'm going to pray for you. Is there any part of that that would make you think, okay, Rick is now going to get inside my mind and animate my tongue to say things through me? If I just said I was going to pray for you and I already said the, the context is intercede, which means to pray for someone, is there any part of the language of that that indicates you get inside someone and pray for, for them or through them? Not at all. The language doesn't justify that. No common sense interpretation of saying that someone will pray for you indicates that they will get inside your brain and animate your tongue. It just doesn't make sense. Secondly, the spirit's intercession through wordless groans, which is the last part of this verse, suggests that this prayer is not oral at all. It's beyond words. It's silent. It's just groanings. It doesn't have articulated speech associated with it. Now, I hate to take time to address that, but it's important when we see these things. You've heard of people having, saying they have a private prayer language. That's where they go. It's just not here. You can look all day long and you won't find it. Take 100 people who'd never heard of that, give them this verse and ask them to come up with that, and no one would. In fact, the groaning of the Spirit here is actually very different than the groaning of the creation and the groaning of the believer. Think about this. In his excellent commentary on Romans, Colin Cruz says this, so well said. While there is clearly a verbal connection between the groaning of creation, the groaning of believers, and the groaning of the Spirit, the Spirit's groaning is clearly a different of a different order. In the former cases, groaning emanates from frustration or suffering, whereas in the case of the Spirit, this is certainly not so. His groaning is associated with intercession for believers, end quote. What's going on here? What's the main point Paul is making here? It's intercession that the Holy Spirit prays for you. So some people say, oh, this is a place where I go over my private prayer language. Boy, you are missing out so much if you think that that's what's going on. This is not about giving you language. This is about the fact that the Holy Spirit is praying for you deeper than you could ever think or imagine to pray. It's so much better, so much more than what people say is a private prayer language here. You're missing so much if you put your anchor on that interpretation. Can I remind you of something too? The intercession of the Holy Spirit. Can I remind you that he's not the only one who intercedes for us? Remember John 17, 20? Jesus said uh, he prays for those who believe and those who have believed through their testimony. He prays for us. So we find out that Jesus prays for us and the Holy Spirit prays for us. And the Father is hearing two intercessors on our behalf. Said another way, if you love Jesus Christ, i I, 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 I got to inform you of something. You, you need to know something. If, you're faith, if, you're, if your faith is in Christ, if you're a believer, you need to know something. You are a subject of conversation in the Godhead. Now, that should be a great comfort, but could also be a threat. Could it be that the Spirit of God is saying, don't let them fall again. Guard them from this temptation again. Comfort them again. What is he saying about us? We don't know because the text tells us here we don't know. But I wonder if it's in reference to our sanctification or our comfort or what arena he's praying for us. That should stop us in our spiritual tracks. If you are an adopted child of God through faith in Christ, there are conversations within the Godhead that are about you. You will be God's lunch conversation today. He will talk with himself about you. The Holy Spirit intercedes for you, about you, on your behalf. And when you come with that that cul-de-sac of, I don't know what to do. I don't know what, please just help. The Holy Spirit says, I know how to do that. I know what you need because, we'll see in a moment, I know the will of God I know what God's plan is. I know what God's moral standards are. And I can turn your desperate prayer into specifics that God understands. How could this really make a difference in your fight with sin? Just, I mean, literally, I thought about this yesterday. I had a thought that was not a godly thought. And as soon as it came in, I, I, I was in the midst of thinking about this. I thought, hang on. I wonder what the Spirit of God is asking the Father about me in this moment about this issue. Well, that'll stop you. God is talking to Himself about my trials and temptations. How about your pain and trouble? Do you ever feel like I am so alone? I am so lonely. No one understands. Yes, there is someone who does. Yes there is someone who cares. Yes there is someone who is praying for you. Listen, you can put your prayer request on the prayer chain all you want and we should keep doing that. But understand you don't have to put your request on heaven's prayer chain. He knows. Because remember the attributes of God, he's omnipresent and he's omniscient. Put those together and he knows our anxiety and trials, suffering, he knows. I find it interesting that there is no prayer chain in heaven because he doesn't have to be informed by an email. He knows. And he cares because why? We are children of God adopted. Well, this crescendos. Now we get to the best part. <clears throat> we get to the best part. The three blessings and the Spirit's praying for us the help of the Spirit, the intercession of the Spirit, and number three, the knowledge of the Spirit. This is so unspeakably encouraging. So unspeakably comforting. And it's almost like he says, and as a bonus, let me tell you something. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because... He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Even though the groanings of the Spirit are inexpressible in human terms, God understands what the Spirit desires because God understands the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit is God. God is the only one who has complete access to the human heart. Psalm 139. Oh Lord, you have, what is it? Searched me and known me. Revelation 2 23, I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. Do you believe in omniscience and omnipresence with respect to God? Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? If you do, then you know what this text affirms is true that he knows the hearts. That's exactly the way it begins here in verse 27. He who searches the hearts, speaking of human hearts, translates that into the inner Trinitarian relationship. He knows, the one who knows the hearts of men, implied, knows what the mind of the spirit is. God's knowledge is direct and instantaneous of everything in all time, at all places, at once. We don't have to tell him what's on our hearts. He already knows, which goes right into... The, 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 the idea that we come into this, this dead end, this cul-de-sac of saying, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. This is beyond me. And he says, that's okay, because I do. I, I, I know. I see. There was, I didn't take a lunch break. I didn't take a nap break. I didn't fall asleep in the well of some plane and end up in the air. I have been paying attention to you always. But There's more. Not only does he know our hearts, look at this next phrase. He also knows the desires of the Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit. As the Spirit is interceding for us, he knows what the Spirit desires for us. He knows that the Spirit is interceding for the saints in harmony with, look at that last phrase, his will. In harmony with his will. How how encouraging is this? The Spirit comes to the help and the aid of believers who are confused by the troubles of the world. He takes our concerns to the Father with an intensity far greater than we ever could imagine. With specific requests that we don't even have the wisdom to ask for. You ever been on the other side of that? Have you ever done something or said something that that took you by surprise? Kind of surprised you? That you were able to respond well or say something wise, where did that come from? Could it be that that's the prayer request answered from the Holy Spirit to God the Father, enabling us to do and be what we wouldn't have been without Him? Robert Mounts, great Greek exegete and grammarian, says this Our groans in verse 23 become His groans in verse 26. As he intercedes on our behalf. So what are his groans? I think his groans are ours. That when he groans, he's taking our groans and saying, according to your will, Father, I am going to now match this need, because I'm the helper, this need, this desire, this, this absence, or this presence of sin. I'm going to take this confusion and, With the certainty I know of your will, and I'm going to make the bright prayer request to bridge that gap. It's just incredible, just incredible. By the way, this is the only place where Paul speaks of God knowing the mind of the Spirit. You know, you remember from 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11, he says that the Spirit knows the mind of God. Well, it makes sense that if the Spirit is God, that God would know the mind of the Spirit. And that's what we find out here. There's an obvious, deep, and mutual understanding between God the Father and God the Spirit. Let me ask you a question. If you think... If in the words of James, the the fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much, what do you think of the fervent prayer of God and his prayer? Do you think that can accomplish anything? This is a successful prayer, successful praying. God knows what the mind of the spirit is and the spirit intercedes for believers in accordance with the will of God. Last phrase, He knows God's will because he is God and knows the mind of the Father. I think we spend so much time looking for God's will and his moral will is obviously revealed in his word. But if we want to know what God's will is specifically in wisdom categories and areas of our life, wouldn't it make sense according to this verse to just submit our groanings to the Holy Spirit and say, help, show me, reveal to me, control me by the will of God. Remember, his intercession is always for God's glory and for our good. Wow, let me ask you a hard question. Do you trust God to pray for you? We often ask people to pray for us for different things, and we should, that's a biblical uh, injunction. That's okay. You ever been asked to pray for someone and, and you forgot? or you only prayed once, or you prayed and then for God. Notice here that we don't even have to give the request to the Spirit of God. He, by virtue of our adoption, is always in the position and privilege of, of praying and interceding for us. Interceding means going between two. He's in between us and the Father, asking for God's will to be manifested in our life and asking God to meet us in our need and our weakness and our helplessness. What a God. What a God. We didn't even ask for this. And he does it for us. The spirit of God is our helper. Who makes our prayers not weak. He helps us in our weakness. But he makes our weak prayers in our weak state. Because he's God. He makes us and our prayers strong. So take courage. Be comforted. Rest in the fact and in the reality that you are a deliberate and an important part of the mysterious interconnectivity and communications of the Trinity you know I was thinking about this and how this really plays out in so many areas of of God's revelation and I, I came to Import all of that into this little phrase that Peter says in 1 Peter 5. Humble yourselves, verse six, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Listen to this. Listen to this. In the context of the spirit praying for us. Casting all your anxiety on him. This is incredible news. Why? Because he cares for you because he cares for you. Can you just bathe and bask in the fact that God invites our anxieties, invites our weaknesses, invites our needs to be brought to him even with, without the wisdom of knowing what to pray and because he cares for us, he says, I'll take it from here. What a God. What a God worthy of our worship and dependence. This all begs the question that we began with though. Do we tarry in prayer? I love that phrase. Do we wait and struggle in prayer enough to come to the end of ourselves? To come to the point where we don't know what to pray? Can I just tell you, if you're only praying before a meal, you're not getting to that point. If you're only praying in the shower, you're not getting to that point. If you're only praying at church, you're not getting to this point. The only way you discover your weakness and not knowing what to pray is to pray for everything you know and then to run out. Is to take your burden and your anxiety and your struggle and your fight with sin and bring that to God and say, I, I'm at the end of myself. I just need your help. And the Holy Spirit says, that's good because I'm your helper. It's amazing. If that doesn't motivate you, if you're an unbeliever, if that doesn't motivate you to want to be adopted by God, to have the Spirit of God pray for you, I'm not sure what could. Who, what fool would say no to that? Who would say, no, nah, I would rather the, the not have any assistance from the Holy Spirit? I just wanna beg you, I wanna beg you to embrace the loving God who cares for you enough to crucify his own son on your behalf. Please, run to Jesus. Run, don't walk, run to Christ who is standing with open arms wanting to adopt those who believe. And you're instantly on the Spirit's prayer list. Father, I'm humbled because I I have experienced seasons and times when I know that I've not known what to pray or how to pray as I should and felt that emptiness and experienced your help. I also know what it's like to live without dependence, to feel self-sufficient. There are burdens and there are needs, there are anxieties, there are troubles and trials in this room right now that some of us know about, have prayed for, will continue to pray for, but our great hope and confidence is that you, our Holy Spirit, our helper for our weaknesses, knows and cares. How can we thank you enough? Thank you. Thank you for speaking within the Godhead about us, for interceding for us, for caring about us, for inviting us to bring you our anxieties because you care for us. Use this passage. Use these two verses to pave a road into the prayer closet, to love you and to depend on you, and to receive your care for us because you know the will that you want us to know and live. Because of Christ we pray, amen.